Hi, this is Steve Nerlick from Cheap Astronomy, www.cheapastro.com, and this is Science Education. Hey, Cheap Astronomers, a special episode this week. What follows is an interview with Greg Wah, co-presenter of the fabulous Smart Enough to Know Better podcast, and an education officer with Australia's Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organisation, better known as CSIRO. Hello, how are you? Good, thank you. So, Greg, I suggest we forget our normal roles as international podcasting sensations. <laughs> sure. And I'll just pretend to be a mild-mannered PhD student, and I understand you work for some organisation called CSIRO. Yes. That, and that, I understand, is a fairly significant employer of Australian science graduates. Well, it is Australia's largest scientific organisation, so yes, it does employ a lot of people from the science disciplines. Mm -hmm. How would you go about trying to sell the job of a scientist to someone who's just left school? What's in it for them? And there's the big issue, of course. How do you make it interesting to them? I suppose the way I try and promote it, as an education officer, I try to promote science as an interesting career where you can actually try new things and look out for new things and actually create something new or research something new. So you can make an impact in science, but you might not be able to make it somewhere else. And the CSIRO would be an organization that would facilitate that. What sort of a role would someone who's joined CSIRO play? Well, the, the different flagships across CSIRO, they actually focus on uh, different projects, whatever the government considers important at the time, and then these flagships break down into projects and, and into smaller and smaller units. So a, a graduate from many different disciplines can work with many different people who they wouldn't normally work with to try and, and solve a problem. So it, it's quite a varied workplace, and you could stay with one project for a while, which might last two years, and then you might do a really short one that only lasts three months. So you're not sort of stuck in one place. And I think that agile nature and, and being an agile worker is actually quite rewarding. We tend to hear the story that if you undertake a career in science, you're constantly chasing research grants and future employment is never quite guaranteed. Is that the reality, do you think? Across Australia? I think, yes, I think that that is a problem. That is definitely seen as a problem. But I think working for a larger organisation, such as the CSIRO, does give you some stability because, once again, you're not working on one project. Well, you might be working on a project now, but you, will be, you can be moved around and you could move to a whole new area and work with someone totally different on something brand new. So it's more stable in that sense. You're, you're being used as a resource across a wider period of time, uh, not just one project. And how about yourself? You're a science graduate? I am actually, no, I'm a teacher. I am a, I'm actually an education officer, so I have a, a background in teaching. And I'm doing my I'm doing my masters now in astrophysics. Well, that's not bad. Well, that's, that's, not, that, that's not too bad. That sounds like science. That's, it does, yes. So, what does an education officer for CSIRO do? Uh, my job is to promote science to to students from right down from K right up to grade twelve. So, uh, my job is to try and promote it and also to give access to science to students who would not normally have access to them. So, people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, uh, people whose schools don't have the resources or the, the training. Sometimes primary school teachers don't know much about certain subjects, and we, we can be called in to plug up those holes and to shore up uh, any sort of scientific downfall. 
So you're actually delivering lessons yourself? Yes, definitely, yes. Uh, we, we have different programs that we deliver across Queensland. So it's almost like a smorgasbord. You can sort of pick from different things, from physics to chemistry to geology to, to biology and all sorts of different levels. And it's very much connected to the Australian curriculum now as well. So teachers can look at what we offer and say, oh, well, I can grade six, let's say, or grade eight, wherever. Uh, this will fit directly in what I'm teaching right now and get us in as experts that can actually help the students out. So you're back from your uh, trip to... I've been back from Longreach, and since then I have been back out again to Rockhampton and Mowra and Biloela area, and a little place called Wirrabinda, which is like an indigenous community. Mm. So I've been quite busy recently, but that's all done now, thank goodness. And I mean, is that a lot of your job? Do you do that regularly? Yes, yeah, we head out ooh, probably once every what, once every six weeks or so, I'd say. Gotcha. In, in term three, we uh, we it's our heaviest period. So I was gone. Yeah, out, out of the last six weeks, I was gone three times. Mm-hmm. So it's just really all crammed in. And this is all visiting schools. Yes, yes, visiting yeah. schools. So going out and uh, visiting schools out uh, out of Longreach, Winton, um, Wirrabinda is a an indigenous community of a thousand people. Uh, the school has a hundred kids in it, and they get nothing. I mean, they they get absolutely nothing. They no resources, and it's a you know, very shockingly disadvantaged area, I mean, like mm. nothing I'd ever seen. And uh, and that's where I feel my job is actually making a difference. Do you think our teaching workforce is well skilled in science, or are they struggling uh, a bit? That's a really good good question. I think that. Many, uh, well, primary school teachers, I mean, they have to teach everything right, right across the board. So they're generalists and they have to be. In high school, you focus more on your subjects that you want to teach. Uh, but most teachers, I would say, are not scientists first who became teachers. They are, they're teachers who learned their subjects when they learned their education degree. Now, they're probably good at what they do, but they're not scientists. So I think in the olden days, back sort of in the 19th century, teachers used to be, your physics teacher was probably a physics expert who then happened to go and teach. So they didn't have the education knowledge, how to teach it, so it was all instructivist yelling at you and hitting you on the hand sort of stuff, but they at least had a very, very strong background. Nowadays, I would say the background is not as strong, but the delivery methods are a lot stronger, so constructivist teaching. Yeah, what does that mean? Imagine the brain's a big empty cup, and you pour knowledge into the brain. That's the old way of teaching. But, of course, people bring, even children, bring prior knowledge and, and understanding of certain subjects. So you actually construct the knowledge with them. You you ask questions. You get them to do projects about things. Instead of saying, here are the answers. You go, here's some information. What do we think about this? And then based on their, their responses to your information, you build off that. So it's a lot more free-flowing and open way of teaching. But I think it's a deeper way of teaching. It mm-hmm. connects with them a lot more. Okay. So I tend to think the role of teaching science in school is to give us a, a scientifically literate community. So hopefully everyone is getting a, a grounding in science. And mm. perhaps school's a bit early to be starting to single out your future scientists. But I guess when someone's finished school and they're thinking of going to university, that that's sort of the the fork in the road for them where they might think, should I do science, which would be interesting, or should I do accounting, which will ensure me a safe job at the end? So, Mm. So what would you say to those people at that critical point? 
I, I, just to jump back, I actually think it's way before they leave grade 12. If they've left it to grade 12, I think they're doomed at that point. Okay. Honestly, uh, because science is, in Queensland anyway, science is not a subject you have to take. You have to take literacy and numeracy of some sort, some level of English, some level of maths. Past grade nine, you don't have to take a science. So you could be totally science-free in 11 and 12. And, and that's, that, I think that's a total shame. And I can't mm. believe they don't have some level, even just basic science. At the end of grade 12, if you're going to say to someone, you know, why be a scientist and not be an accountant? Uh, I would point out once again, the agility side. It, it's been shown that people nowadays, you're not going to have a job that will last you 35 years, 40 years, 50 years, and you're going to get a gold watch at the end. Mm. Most people change careers every five to 10 years or so. And the, the average worker nowadays coming out of school now, they have to be aware that they have to be an agile worker. I keep using this word agile because if they, if they're just going to be an accountant, that might work for them for a while, but they could be replaced. Uh, something could make them, uh, non-useful very, very quickly. We don't know what that is yet. It seems like a very safe profession. But if you're a scientist, you're literate in scientific thinking and that should open up a wide range of jobs to you. Some will be research. Uh, maybe teaching as well later on, you might be able to move back and forth between different careers using your science degree and not just be stuck in one place. Uh, and if you're a person who is a bit more, wants to be more upwardly mobile, then that, I think science is a really strong start. Hmm. So it's more the teaching of critical thinking and logic that yes. science training can give you that could open a whole world of careers to you. Yes, exactly right. University is no longer just for learning. It has to be uh, jobs-based or skills-based or, or outcome-based. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But there has to be something said for learning, for the sake of learning and, and, and becoming a well-rounded citizen across science and arts and history and all the rest. I was chatting to Ian Chubb, who's a chief scientist. He's, uh, I mean, I only met him once, but he was saying he knew some people in the finance industry who, who'd done physics degrees and, you know, they're obviously good at maths, but also have that critical thinking to avoid them making stupid decisions, I suppose, which would be a fairly important thing in the heady world of finance. I suppose the only person I can think of, a person I've actually met, uh, is Dr. Joel Gilmore, and he he's a friend of mine and a physicist, and I mean, he now works with companies on climate change and renewable energy. And every time I talk to him, he always seems to be heading up a new project and working with people uh, in that field. And actually talk about molecular gastronomy. He always seems to be a, a sort of a person who comes from a very physics background, but now is spreading out into a wider area. I mean, climate change or climate science is not physics per se, but he now seems to be able to do that. And he's considered quite respected in it. So it's once again, it's sort of that to me shows that it can open up a lot of areas for you. Did you say molecular gastronomy? Molecular gastronomy, yes. <laughs> okay, I need to know more about that. Molecular gastronomy is using science to cook food Gosh. and to cook the perfect steak. So what you want to do is vacuum seal it and you place it in water that's exactly 65 degrees Celsius and mm -hmm. you go away for three, three and a half hours. And when you come back, the, the proteins are denaturalized. Denatured. Denatured. And, uh, and then you just quickly sear it on both sides and you have the perfect steak. Uh, Gosh. And eggs can be done the same way. You know Heston Blumenthal? Heston Blumenthal is one of these crazy worldwide famous chefs. So he travels the world. He's an English guy, bald head, and he does all this exciting stuff. Uh, liquid nitrogen and things like that. It's another area you could go down. 
you can become a, a world famous chef by being a scientist. Well, this is until we have 3D printers to print our food. And, <laughs> That's right, yes. yes. Earl Grey, hot. <laughs> I'm always amused because like, people get freaked out by genetically modified foods. And I think if genetically modified foods scare you, then 3D printing your food, you're not going to deal with very well at all, I don't think. No. <laughs> uh, still, it does seem to be the future, doesn't it? Oh, I think so. Very much so. What scares me, though, the world won't be ready for it because suddenly uh, industry will collapse. Because you won't have people working, building my car or building my iPad or building the glass that I'm drinking from. I'll build it all at home. Like I'll press a button and it will, it will appear somewhere near me. So that totally disrupts your industrial sector. And we're not even thinking about that yet. But that's going to happen in, probably in our lifetime. And we're not ready for it. All these people are going to be unemployed. Um, unless they did science degrees. Unless they did science degrees. Yes. No, exactly right. I, okay, here's a, 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 some evidence. So I taught out at Biloela, and it's a central Queensland mining town. Mm-hmm. And it's only 5,000 people, very small, but it's quite wealthy because of the mines, the Calide mines nearby. And I was talking to a grade 9 student who wasn't working, and they refused to work, and I was having a chat to them. And, and this kid looked me in the eye and said, no, I have no interest in this because I'll finish grade 10, and then like my dad and my mum, I will get a job at the mines dri- driving a truck. And I will get paid four times what you get paid. And he was right. He was absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but that's only while the mining boom is continuing. You know, he's going to go and earn $150,000, 100, $200,000 a year driving a truck. But that's very dangerous because if you don't have any skills, you will probably hit a brick wall at some point in your life. No one will care that you can drive a truck. But they'll care if you have a science degree. Yeah. All right. I'm convinced. <laughs> Well, thanks, Greg. Uh, anything you want to add? Is there anything exciting happening in the world of science education? Um, well, actually, I think we are at a really interesting point in science education because of, the, of YouTube, things like Khan Academy, and you have all these amazing YouTube channels like Veritasium, and you have uh, Vsauce. Oh, what, what, what was Khan Academy? Oh, Khan Academy. Um, I've forgotten his first name, but his last name is Khan, K-H-A-N. And this, this young gentleman was given money by Microsoft because he went to them and said, oh, I want to create this YouTube channel and I want to be able to teach science on YouTube. Microsoft went, this is brilliant. And they gave him money to, to expand it. And if you go and look it up, Khan Academy, it's amazing. Like it teaches very complicated things you learn in, in grade 11 and 12 physics in very, very clear ways. And I think it's a, it's a way that people will be learning in the future. I don't know if a teacher will be required so much as it is today. I mean, they're always going to be required, but I think there's going to be a lot of what, why learn from a teacher who's only good at what they do when they can learn from the best in the world uh, who are on the internet and giving their information away for free. So this is a bit like a MOOC, is it? I don't know what that is. So oh, okay, a massive open online course. Oh, okay. Well, it's sort of a, the latest thing that lots of universities are oh, uh, yes. offering. Mm. And also it doesn't cost them anything to put their coursework up online. It's already online. They're giving it to their students anyway. So why not just go... Hey, enjoy, you know, mm. but you don't come out with a degree. You come out with knowledge, but mm. no one, no stamped piece of paper, which you work your guts out to get first class honors or whatever you do. You've got to have a piece of paper. But really, once you get into the job, it doesn't matter anymore. Mm. Helps you get into the job, but once you're there, yeah, it doesn't matter. That's right. If you're, if you're an idiot, they'll work it out pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then unlike school, they, they get rid of you. Hmm. Uh, so I think education is going to become, science education anyway, passionate people on the internet, these amazing channels, uh, there's Minute Physics, all these amazing little channels that 
are teaching physics and science in a very accessible way and getting kids interested and, and adults interested in science. And I think that's going to be a big push for, uh, uh, for teaching in the future. If, if only hooking people in and then you have to do the hard work. I mean, you can't just learn science by seeing a fun video for five minutes. That doesn't work. Mm. Uh, but I, I don't think teaching and learning has to be a grind. I try and promote science as play. Children love to play and children love science because science is play to them. When we start getting a bit older, we start making science a bit more boring. And I think we need to get back to the play aspect without losing the structure of it. And there's the hard bit, of course, making it fun, but still uh, deep. Hmm. Well, Greg, thanks for your time. That's all right, Steve. Thanks for the talk. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. This is Steve Nellick from Cheap Astronomy, www.cheapastro.com. Cheap Astronomy offers an educational website where we do citizen science education. No ads, no profit, just good science. Bye. It's been shown time and time again that pure science research leads to amazing leaps forward without any knowledge of what it was going to do. Uh, And I'm a bit nervous about making everything outcome-based because you'll never create an outcome you weren't expecting. Mm. Yeah, it's always a hard sell with science. You've got to convince people to give you money to deliver something and you don't know what it will be, but it'll be something. And and it's going to be awesome, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) Don't know what it is, but it's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. Yeah, it'll be in your house by Christmas.